Welcome to the Relief Teachers Podcast, brought to you by Tradewind Australia. My name's Ian McNally, and this podcast is a recording from a live webinar in January 2021 with my colleagues and former principals, Billy Green and Terry Toomey. In this webinar, we discuss the challenges associated with teaching in primary school. If you've had very little experience in a primary setting or none at all, this is the episode for you. I started this webinar off by asking Billy Green, what is it that you should prioritize in your mind before your first time teaching in a primary classroom? Uh, That's a great question. And uh, can I just put everybody's mind at rest? Uh, And Terry's, I know, is already palpitating there. It's natural to feel quite uh, trepidatious and terrified of preps, okay? And then... um, it's even more natural to feel more terrified of their parents. So uh, <laughs> if you're feeling quite uh, overwhelmed by the potential ex- uh, exposure to uh, very young children, it's completely normal, don't worry. Um, look, it is interesting though, uh, you know, I did some work um, uh, um, in preparation for today. And I think the biggest thing that you've really got to get your head around, particularly if you're coming from a secondary environment, is that the real focus and we, I'm going to focus here today talking largely about, I guess, the prep to threes, prep to fours. The five sixes in primary schools are not that different. Um, that's why when we have schools like middle year schools, the fives and sixes are incorporated with the sevens and eights, if you like, or up to nines. So there's, a, there's quite a bit of crossover from the ages of about, oh, I guess, when the kids reach double figures from 10 through to 12, 13, 14, 15. There's, you know, they're not that dissimilar in a lot of ways. But the little ones are... And I guess the word in is very much around development. And that is the probably the biggest difference. A lot of the teaching that we do from say grade five on right through to year 12, uh, the focus for uh, better or for worse, and this is not to deny the, all the social and emotional and psychological and other parts of what goes on in education in high schools and, and late primary. But in primary school, The content, if you like, of the curriculum is relatively simple and the focus is very much on the development of the whole child. And that is probably the biggest difference. And that has all sorts of implications um, for how you manage the class, the sorts of activities and content that you actually choose for your curriculum. But particularly around, I suppose, what we'll talk about this morning around the logistics of actual actually managing young children in a school environment. So I guess that's if I had to put it into one word, it'd be um, developmental. There's a difference there that you that tends to even itself out after. And people would say, well, after they've been socialised or normalised or whatever by the time they reach ten. But there is certainly a difference there uh, from my point of view. And I'll be really fascinated in because I know you've got a primary background as well to get perhaps if you could condense it into one concept or one word and Terry from who's worked in primary schools but largely in secondary if there's the one word or one concept that you would say so I've pinched the first one I've, I've gone developmental what about you other fellows where do you think it sits yeah I'll look Billy I, I would agree I think one of the best things I ever did was the term I spent as a primary school principal um, which was at Finden Primary School in the final term of 2008 which I've never forgotten probably the school's never forgotten either um, but yeah look it was a ama- it was amazing learning and, and you're right um, 
I related really easily to the kids in grade five, six, and I think I was able to assist their transition in some way to a whole range of secondary schools for the following year. But between you and I, I was completely out of my depth with the prep ones. And I know you and Ian have both had a lot of experience. I just had not been exposed to that in an educational sort of setting. Um, I um, the other the other bit, huge difference I noticed was that just kids were crawling all over me at primary school 24-7 and you don't get that at, at, at secondary school. Everybody likes their distance, but, you know, like when I did yard duty, I had kids, cle- you know, clinging all over me. Uh, and also I had parents in my office 24-7, whereas at secondary school I wasn't used to them coming in the front gate unless they'd sort of been invited because the kids didn't like them coming in and we didn't mind that either. Um, it just gave everybody, you know, a bit of space. But, hey, I, I think I learnt an enormous amount. Um, I tell you, one of the things that you that I, I did learn was that um, in a primary environment, we can talk about this later, just the importance of collaboration and how closely you people work together. The, the, the difference to me in that area was stark because although I think in the last 10 years we've started to work together a lot better in secondary, it, it's not something that comes naturally like the collaboration and the, and the planning does in primary. So to me, it was an invaluable experience. Oh, well, I've just put a poll just to see what the experience is of people attending this morning uh, live with the webinar. Um, 36% are primary teachers, 51% secondary. That's where most of their experience lies. Uh, 9% P to 12, some in middle years and a couple in early years as well. I think a lot of people attending today who might want more experience in primary. Um, I think, as you said there, Terry, it is such a valuable experience and having that knowledge of where children start the educational journey helps you when you go back into the secondary and high school environment so immeasurably by knowing that journey equally as a primary teacher I started off in the in the kind of middle years in in primary so grade three four when I taught prep for a couple of years, I realized how much I'd missed out on because I didn't have the starting point of that journey. Uh, and as soon as I got that, I thought, wow, I'm going to be able to teach grade six so much better, particularly those students who'd missed out or who had lost some of their education as well uh, for, for many different reasons. But I think the word that I'd summarize um, and listening to you both that I think both crystallized this was um, the word boundaries. <laughs> I think primary school is all about boundaries, boundaries with parents boundaries with students expectations also comes into this as well but you have to set a boundary for almost every aspect of your existence in a primary classroom it's not like a high school where you can walk in and say okay pencils out turn your book to page 53 we're going to be doing a practical uh, to begin with and then we're going to do this and you'll need this this and this uh, okay you've got five minutes to get yourself sorted you can't do that in, in a prep class. You can't even do that really in a grade four class. You have to be so explicit about what you're teaching. Even if you say, come and sit down on the carpet, you can't just say that. You have to say which way to face. You have to sit, say how they're going to they're gonna sit cross-legged. They're not going to be doing this or they are going to be doing that. So you have to set the boundary for every aspect of what you're doing. If you're listening to this as a high school teacher thinking, you can't do that for everything. That would just be exhausting. 
welcome to primary teaching, <laughs> Billy. <laughs> Can I just jump in there? Because I've got a story that uh, backs that up entirely. Um, so, and maybe the person who did this is actually listening, but we were running this particular course, this particular three-hour session face-to-face. In fact, it went so well that the respondents asked next time if we did a four-hour course on um, a four-hour how to teach in primary school. So it went very well. Don't worry, we're not going to do four hours today. But um, so I was explaining a lot of those logistics uh, that you just um, uh, alluded to, Ian. So about moving around through transitions to handing out materials and resources. That, and the boundaries is a, is a great word for it. And about halfway through, this secondary teacher stood up, and I won't use the exact word he said, but uh, he said, this is a whole lot of crap. And I, I, I beg your pardon, and the rest of the people in the class, and there may be some who are tuning in today that were there, are uh, also taken aback. And I said, he said, this is a whole lot of crap. I said, what do you mean? He said, there is no way I could possibly do this. I'd be exhausted by recess. With that, he picked up his pen and left. And that was the last I saw of him. And, and I, I sort of agreed. It was like, it is exhausting teaching in lower primary. And the reason that it is, and it's the reason that you sort of alluded to around the boundaries and I mentioned developmental, is that everything that we do, and particularly in the first weeks of uh, prep, or but even in the first years, it, it, it's around practical things, around concrete experience, experiences. It's around what they can see and touch. And there's so many things that you simply cannot assume and you actually have to teach them. So as you say, Ian, if you say uh, to the grade five and six kids, all right, quickly pack up, we need to get organized, we're going outside for a game or it's nearly, they'll probably manage that fairly well. Uh, quickly pack up are not three words that prep children have any idea what that means. <laughs> quickly pack up. Literally, could be, it could be anything. It could be just like come and sit on the floor. It could be wander out the door. <laughs> so... From every possible angle, you have to imagine what could possibly go wrong here, uh, and it will. So I have to actually manage my way through that. And look, it's the other thing that one of the great prep teachers that I worked with for many years told me, um, it's a, a lot about repetition and routines. And I think that that's what you've got to get into. You've got to set really simple um, routines, practical um, and purposeful routines that they understand and follow and reinforce them all the time. And that's that's in curriculum as well, like in, in actual teaching, but it's certainly around uh, how they move and how they interact with each other. Because as I said, it's developmental. They don't naturally share things. Um, if you've got a group, of, if you've got a, a, a container of pencils on the table and you ask them to, there's a good chance that one person on that table will have all the pencils and someone else will have none. And that's just how it operates. And you've got to accommodate for all of that. I am laughing now. That's because I don't have to do it. But uh, it, it is actually a lot of fun. But it is. it can be absolutely exhausting. Can, can I say as well, thank you to uh, people attending this webinar live. Uh, thank you for sharing your personal experiences and comments in the chat as well. If you do have any questions, do put them in the Q&A box. Uh, so we'll get around to answering those as well. Uh, the expectations, Terry, are quite different for a teacher turning up as a CRT to a high school, to a primary school. Expectations in terms of how you manage behaviour, how your demeanour is, can vary quite a bit, can't it, in terms of what parents want to see, in terms of what uh, fellow colleagues want to see in a 
in a primary school compared with a high school? What have you observed over the years? Yeah, well, look, I felt at the primary school, I was much more under the microscope, I suppose, <laughs> with everything that I said and did as a, as a principal or even just filling in for a term. Like uh, in a secondary school, great place to hide a secrets in the newsletter. Whereas in a primary school, all the parents are, you know, hover over that and be quoting it to each other in the car park and asking you questions about it. Um, in a secondary environment, I was, you know, happy if anybody read uh, what I wrote. The, the other thing that I, um, in terms of expectations, Ian, I think uh, um, it improved me as a principal, a term in the primary school, absolutely no doubt, because I think I thought I knew everything having been a secondary principal for about eight years, whereas you go into a primary school and, you know, you're out of your depth and your learning starts again, I, I knew nothing. But one of the things I came to appreciate was the sort of skills that the students um, are assisted with, as Billy alluded to, in terms of development over the seven years they're there. Like in grades um, five and six, those kids are running assemblies, they're they're doing everything, basically. They're very, very capable. And I think the leadership um, that they pick up over the journey is, you know, it's exemplary. Whereas when I reflected on it, kids come to secondary school and um, I think we undervalue that. We assume um, that everything's sort of, you know, starting again and there are students there who are 17 and 18 years of age and, you know, it all begins again. I don't think um, we capitalise enough on the sort of, you know, the leadership qualities that students pick up at primary. And even we don't take into account enough, um, you know, some of the learnings, I think. So um, I think more secondary teachers um, would be would be better, particularly in seven, eight and nine, having spent a bit more time uh, with, with four, five and six, seeing the approaches to teaching, seeing what the students are capable of, and even just seeing with that classroom organisation, you know, um, what works with open learning, uh, certainly the planning. Um, you know, I think um, it, it, really, it really, really benefited me, maybe a better principal. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, one of the immediate differences, uh, and maybe this isn't true of all uh, high schools, but you can see maybe in one classroom, the amount of work that goes into the displays in a primary classroom is probably greater in one classroom than a whole high school. So even that thing, I think you have to appreciate as a high school teacher going into a primary classroom, quite how much work uh, goes into those things that perhaps aren't even a consideration in uh, high school or very small part of the job become a very large part of the job, Billy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think the word that I would probably use around that is environment. And and it's what Terry um, uh, was sort of alluding to with his comments. What you are creating in a primary school, and this you asked the question, what sort of uh, qualities do you need to see in people who are going into primary schools? And they really do have to have that warmth, that uh, sense of uh, nurturing and encouraging and development, I guess, of these very young people uh, you know precious sort of kids like you know you don't want to overplay that um that side of kids because they are quite resilient but the one thing that they will do is to learn a lot and they learn in a lot of different ways and what you're really setting up in primary schools is a consistent environment of um i guess acceptance and warmth and encouragement so that they come along each day feeling as though it's a really good experience so what we want to see when people go into those environments is not this sort of, you don't really need to bring your busy face. Um, perhaps in grade five and six you can a little bit, but 
you don't really need to sit, bring your busy face when you go into a primary school. You need to bring your the warmth and encouragement and delight and that feeling of I'm there to not entertain the kids. That, that's the wrong idea altogether. But I'm there to uh, facilitate an environment where they're, where they're going to enjoy the learning on the day and they're going to enjoy all the other things that they do, like getting along with each other, sharing, taking turns, um, you know, using and learning things about manners and tolerance. All those sorts of things are really important in primary schools. And when you talk about the displays that they have on the walls, um, all of that is about valuing what uh, the children do and and building a real environment that is welcoming and colourful. And, uh, and, you know, it's a very unusual primary school that you would walk into and you don't see that that sort of celebration of what the kids' work is. And so it, it sort of indicates what we're trying to achieve in primary schools, and that's that real love of learning. Uh, and as Terry said, they do learn quickly. They, they can take on a lot of things. Um, the other thing that I think is really important in primary schools, more so I think in secondaries, although you know I, I, my experience in secondaries is limited, but I do visit quite a few as it turns out, um, and that's the the real importance of a culture of a primary school. And Terry spoke a lot about you know teachers working together, and they do in primary schools. And what you are trying to achieve is a particular way of doing things that the kids uh, we all tend to do it the same way. We all tend to do it, um, you know, aiming to get the same outcome. So it's really important that, uh, you know, when you go to a primary school as a CRT, that you very quickly pick up on the warmth and the, the development and the sorts of environment and the things that they are trying to achieve while they're there. Hey, one of the other things I really enjoyed, um, just that that term that I spent at the primary school was just with the kids, there was less indifference. You know, I think as they get a bit older, come through secondary school, they can be a little bit more indifferent um, to you as a, as a teacher and even as a principal. But I was, I was feeling like at, at primary school, um, like the teachers, everything that they say and do, uh, the kids sort of hang on on every word. Yeah, that's right. And you and because of that, you do need to be very aware of your role and what your um what you're projecting. One of the very first principal I had, and uh, fabulous fella. Uh, I don't know if he's still with us, but if he, um, he'd be he'd be mature now, put it that way. But he asked, he called me into the office, uh, and I was very wet behind the years, twenty one year old, and asked me, um, Billy, what do you think curriculum is? And I've never forgotten this clearly. And I thought, oh, God, I don't know, um, maths and English, and you know. He said, what else do you think it is? And I said, oh, I don't know, you know, SOS and whatever. He said, well, I'll tell you what it is. He said, curriculum in a primary school is every single thing that happens in there. And he was right. It was the way that the cleaner talks to the kids. It's, and you'll notice it's the way that the school crossing lady talks to the kids. It's the way that the canteen people talk to the kids. It's all about that entire building of an environment that makes a primary school a successful environment. And uh, it's not just about curriculum and strategies, and they have, they're important, make no mistake about that, and they become more important in results. But that's why I think you get a lot of kick um, back from primary educators around, you know, the never ending testing of, uh, that's not all that we do. Uh, and I love looking, um, occasionally I'll see on the social media platforms, some of the kids that I know I've taught in the past who academically were not strong, but they've gone on to be great people and very successful. And this, there is a, 
I think that overemphasis on academic achievement is important in a way, but in a primary school, it's not the only or the most important thing you do. And the whole thing that you do is about developing the whole person, as I said, um, so that they actually develop friends for the first time. And, and I'll talk a little bit about the curriculum in a, in a minute, Ian, because it does give us a bit of a look into what, what actually is going on with primary school. But it's very much about that uh, whole approach to the development of the whole child. And I think that that's why, um, you know, when you turn up there, you've got to be uh, across that, not just I'm going to hit, I'm here to teach maths and don't annoy me, kid. Yeah, I think that's such a really important point and, and such a massive gain for if you've only ever taught in high school or most of your experience has been there to experience the child centered way that um, primary schools are, are geared up for. And all of those really small, you deal with so many micro situations in a, in a primary setting. You know, I had a child in tears because another child was looking at them. Those, those type of things which you, you wouldn't necessarily come across in a high school. Um, you know, people, uh, you know, students get upset for certain things or they'll also um, really sometimes endear themselves or uh, you will endear yourself to them in the course of a lesson or, or a day. You know, you might do relief teaching and they say, oh, when are you coming back? You generally wouldn't get that in high school. Often they play it a bit cooler. But I'd just like to address as well uh, a point Uma brought up in uh, the chat just around what happens when a, a primary school student might uh, hug you uh, or make physical contact, you know, and there is that kind of balance of you not wanting to upset the child. I think in that case, Uma, you never initiate contact with a student. And you also, again, it comes back to that boundary of saying your role isn't to give them cuddles or hugs. That's not your job. You're the teacher. So it, it can be a difficult situation to be in. Um, and on that basis as well, being in a primary setting and not being, even for primary trained teachers, sometimes doing relief teaching, students can seem to, you know, get on top of you in a metaphorical way uh, because they are so demanding sometimes and they might say your name many times because they haven't yet learned the social etiquette of waiting their turn. What are the strategies for kind of, you know, just hearing your name constantly uh, and being badgered and pestered? You know, we talk about pester power for parents um, with their children but for a primary school teacher that pester power particularly if you're new and the boundaries seem to have shifted that can be something that really can get to people oh yeah look it, it, it can and um but again i think it gets back to what you mentioned right at the very start ian and i'll, I'll throw in another word in a minute so it gets down to boundaries and it gets down to very much you being able to determine and convey and communicate and articulate, even with the youngest children, of what you're going to accept, right? The next thing that you have to have there is uh, patience because a bit like, and I don't take this the wrong way, I'm, not, I'm saying this in a humorous way, a bit like my puppy that I've got here, um, telling him once doesn't, yeah, but we're getting there right, in terms of chewing up the pillows, right? But I have to set the boundaries. I have to work at it patiently. And the thing is that you have to be, and, and it may not be, able to be possible in one day as a CRT, um, but what you've got to do is you've got to repeat it and, and be consistent about it. And the other really crucial thing that you have to do in primary school is model it. And by modeling it, I mean, 
you choose the children in the room that are doing the right thing and you make a huge fuss, a song and dance about what they're doing right so that the other kids can see what it's like. And this gets back to something that's really important you have to understand. It's really important that kids have concrete experiences and are able to either see or feel or touch what's actually going on. So if you say to the child, um, please don't do that, that sort of means something, but they may not quite exactly understand what you want them to do instead of that, right? But if you see Terry sitting really nicely at the front of the room, so if I said, right, I'd like you to walk, um, bring your book and come and sit on the floor just next to me, and Terry does it really well, he doesn't sit too close, he doesn't sit too far away, he doesn't bump a kid on the way, he doesn't slap his book or put it on his head or do anything that he could possibly do. If Terry does the right thing, and what you need to do then is to say, oh, I love the way Terry's done that. That is the best. That's exactly, Terry, fantastic. you can be first. You sit here, and when the bell goes, you're, you can choose two of your friends and you're going out to play. Now, that may not work for the, every kid in the grade, but I'll guarantee it'll work for 90% of the kids in the grade. And they will look and think, oh, okay, that's what he means when he says, come and sit on the floor properly. And you don't just do that once, you might be still doing that in by the end of first or second term. And then if they forget it, you go back and do it again. So it's around about having a really clear uh, understanding of what you want as uh, an outcome and then being really patient, explaining it and catch someone who's doing the right thing. I love the way Terry's got his hand up and you, I'll, I'll be listening to the people who've got their hands up and you've just got to keep reinforcing that till they get it. So that's, um, that's how you manage it. Uh, and, you, but you, and again, don't get too cranky with them. Like I had this kid, um, <laughs> it's funny I say a kid, Terry. Um, uh, he's actually, done, he's now got his own production company um, and he's done some work for me with my other role. So he's actually making films and all this sort of stuff. But he had this really annoying habit of grabbing my sleeve. He'd come up and say, Bill, 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 and don't touch me. But eventually, and now we laugh about it, but he was just a bit, uh, he, he was new to the school, he was a bit insecure, and he wanted my attention. So the easiest way was just to grab my sleeve and call my name. We eventually worked that through, but, um, and as I said, he's gone to be a very, very successful man with his own business, making films. But um, uh, yeah, you've just got to persist with it and, and know exactly what you want. Don't keep changing it. That's the worst thing you can do. If you keep changing your structures in the classroom, well, don't, exp you know, if you let the kids put up their hand one day and then call out the answer the next, you've caused the problem, not them. Something that you can get caught up in in a primary classroom is if you give an instruction and the children respond in a certain way, you can think that they're being naughty or they're, they're trying to do. So for example, if you say to a, a year one class, you say, okay, uh, put your pencils down, everybody come onto the carpet. Now you'll have a number of children who try to race to the carpet. They'll, they'll dart out their chair. They'll try and squeeze. Past. Now they're not being, they're not misbehaving. They're just really eager to get to the carpet. They're, they're almost, they're being good because they're trying to you be in place for the next instruction so but you can easily see that as a misdemeanor and and then that child gets a bit confused because they were they were really quick and really eager to get down to the carpet and sit there and then you've just chastised them for running in the classroom or you know uh, pushing past people so you're right that you have to start all of these things by modeling the positive behavior um you know and make sure that you give a good run-up 
to everything that you do as well. So rather than just saying, okay, pencils down now, everybody down to the carpet, you need to say, in a moment, I'm going to be asking people to come down to the carpet. What do you think I might want to see? Now I'm, I'm going to be choosing somebody who I think is going to do a really good job. Now that person that you choose is the person who has misbehaved the most <laughs> because you say, well, I'm going to put a bit of pressure on you and see you're going to be in front of the class you're, you're going to be fantastic at it. Not only that, Ian, you've got, and Terry, you know, you'll be sweating, I know, listening to these things and thinking, thank God you're retired. But um, not only that, Ian, the old just put your pencils down can mean the pencils could go anywhere. And then you look up and you think, oh, there's a mess there. Is it worth then sending them back to their table? Or, oh God, I'm going to have to let them go. Now I'm going to have to spend recess time packing the damn things up. Right, because I've got something else on after. So you've got to think ahead of all of these and you've got to go through all these training things of, all right, what do we do when we come to the carpet? Right, we need all the pencils to go back into the container. Who can show me that first? Da, 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 da. Now, a lot of people will be thinking, oh, what, you know, this is ridiculous, what a waste of time, but it's not. It's about cooperation. It's about sharing. It's about being responsible for belongings. It's understanding that we work in an environment that's cooperative and that we can't just all operate with just all throwing our pencils on the table and running to the, the floor. And these are all the things that we have to teach them. And we might even bring that up while we're reading them a story. So we read a story and it's about, you know, someone who's selfish or doesn't care or knocks someone else's things over. And we can say that sometimes happens in our room. Where does that happen? So they're all the things that we're trying to achieve. Um, and they do take a lot of thought and the logistics around movement and resources and uh, and all those sorts of things. Because if you get them wrong, you actually cause more problems. Well, one mistake that's quite common is, uh, say for example, if you're using concrete counting materials, you might have a jar of dinosaurs that the students are going to count with. Well, if that's the first time that they've counted with dinosaurs, don't get upset if they start playing role-playing with the dinosaurs. What you probably need to do is build in five minutes where they can just play with the dinosaurs and then you start with the maths <laughs> uh, because they just need to get that out of their system. They need to play with them. They're not being naughty. They're children and this is fascinating that they've got dinosaurs in school. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And Terry, you know, some of the times these days I do some um, lecturing work uh, with adults and if you've ever got resources and you hand them out, you know what they're going to, what are they going to do straight off? They're going to flick through them. They all do. Right? <coughs> yeah. so, so they stop listening to you. So I've learned from teaching prep, right? If you hand out any resources, you just say to the adults, all right, I'll give you five minutes to look through it because I know you will anyway and you won't listen to me. <laughs> and so let them look through it for five minutes. They now push that away. Now I want you to focus on me. And you have to do that with the kids in the, you know, that, that sort of free play idea is a very natural thing to do. Um, by all sorts of people at all sorts of ages. Um, you know, we've all fallen for the, uh, you know, get the new gimmick and don't read the instructions. Just play around with it and think this isn't working. I better read those instructions. That's what we do. So you're going to cause yourself problems if you go in from a secondary point of view and expect the kids to get something new they've never seen before, even a book. They'll flick through it. That's what you do. So set, build that into the lesson. Yeah, so, um, yeah, important. Terry, just on those things, those little logistical things, is there anything about the primary environment, particularly when you were working with the kids, um, that 
either tripped you up or you thought, oh my God, yeah, that's right, they're like that. Or can you think of any of those sort of experiences that we could learn from? Uh, probably, Billy, the greatest shock to the system for me was working with the prep kids. I had to do that once for an hour when a teacher was delayed coming to school. And I was really comfortable working with the five sixes, but I was just completely out of my depth with the, the preps. And I know you and Ian are really experienced in that area, but it's really worth it as a secondary person to go and watch a good prep teacher operate because that's where it all starts. And it is just, it's so different and it's potentially so challenging. I just noticed that everything that I said was a waste of time uh, in in a sense because I, you know, I was going into a situation that was unplanned and I was just responding as I would probably, you know, in a a secondary environment, which was a waste of space. You you really need to think through uh, every single thing that you say and I, I love it. You know, Ian was talking before and you about, you know, leading into what the next um, suggestion or instruction sort of might be. But yeah, look, I love the spontaneity of the kids. Um, the fact that they weren't nearly as indifferent as they were at um, at secondary. Um, and the, the, the deference you get as a teacher and as an assistant principal, principal Billy, is extraordinary, I think, at a primary school compared to, you know, at a secondary school. I think uh, we all give each other a fair bit of space um, and often a lot of secondary kids don't want to be seen, you know, they don't want to spend too much more time with the principal than they, than they might need to, which I understand. And just picking up on, you know, and I would recommend if, you know, secondary teachers could get in and see a good, don't go and watch a five, I mean, they they can be great too, but go and watch a, a junior school teacher. And one of the things that um, Terry just mentioned, and I fully support and Ian mentioned as well, is that notion of building, a, there's lots of really important segues that you have to learn um, about moving, packing up, handing out resources, and you, you preempt everything that you're going to do, get that sort of a little bit of excitement, but not too much. Um, I'm going to be asking you to pack up in five minutes. You can even do this in grade five and six. I'm going to be, we're going to pack up in about three minutes, or it might even be for some kid who's a bit off the track. Uh, and it might be, Ian, I'm going to read this passage in a minute. And at the end of this, I'm going to ask you the first question. So you've got to do a lot of that sort of queuing in, which is really good teacher tactics and really good teacher strategies that you can use right through your uh, whatever level that you're teaching at. But the other thing about teaching in the junior schools is you really can't waste a word. You have to choose your words really quickly because <laughs> you can tell when someone's not uh, been very experienced in teaching in the junior schools, they'll say something. They say, oh, no, no, no. I mean, uh, what I mean is I don't want you to do that. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> the paint's on the floor. <laughs> You've got to be really like, how am I actually going to do this? How am I going to, particularly if you're doing things like painting or um, clay or, or um, uh, what's that other, uh, clag and stuff. It's like, oh my God, what am I done? You know, and there's, they're forever sticking things down and two things and, yeah, it's, um, it does make you really think about, um, I, I'm a big fan of the backwards planned curriculum. So in other words, start with what you want at the end, what do you want these kids to achieve, and then how do I get there? And I think that's very much the case in primary, lower primary, not just around curriculum, which I, I want to talk about curriculum in a minute, Ian, but not just around curriculum, but um, I want them to all safely um, come from the table to the floor with everything packed up. Okay, that's a lot of things. How am I actually going to do that? And that makes you think through. But let's let's just turn to the curriculum because I think it's really important for people who don't work in secondary, or rather in the primary environment, to understand the, the, how 
the implications of the kids being sort of so, um, and we don't say self-centered, is it? But it's, uh, I've forgotten the word now. But so the, the focus is very much on them initially. So if you just have a look at something like the humanities curriculum, uh, in prep, the emphasis is on the students' own history in their own places, right? So you're talking about their houses, their families, perhaps their grandparents, their pets. And that's just an indication of where they're at in the world, if you like. So that's what the humanities is on when you're talking about preps. You know, it might be around their birthdays and who else has got a birthday in March. And, it's, and you would do your maths around those sorts of things. When they talk about um, uh, grade one stuff, you might be moving it out into family life and around grandparents and what time do you get up and what do you have for lunch and what do you have for dinner and where do you go for your holidays. Grade two, you might be moving a little bit more broadly out into the community. So doctors, hospitals, firemen, but still relatively local. And then even then, you know, grade three, you're still just talking about the diversity of the people that you would see in your, in your own um, environment. So whereas, you know, obviously if you're doing year 12, you're doing revolutions and, uh, you know, things that go back and forward and around everywhere. So, but it starts, and I think this is really crucial if you think of it, in terms of curriculum, it reflects where the kids are at. And if you look at the journey from um, uh, the prep curriculum around humanities to what Terry would be experienced in, the year 12 curriculum around humanities, you're starting off at that really um, uh, microcosm sort of level of what's in, my what's in my environment that I've come across and I understand and I see every day. And as the kids grow from a five-year-old to an 18-year-old, their world expands, of course, and what they study expands as well. So Terry, you know, while the little kids are learning about, you know, uh, what time I get up, what time I go to school, what time I get home, um, you know, what, do my, what does my family look like? How many people is in his family? It's, so it's very, very small. But of course, at year 12, it's, um, it's geographical, it's historical, it's political, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it makes so much sense then, I think, just the way you've, you've explained that. But I don't think at secondary teachers, probably we don't necessarily you know, ha have that perspective. And that's where I'd, I'd encourage people that work in the secondary environment to, um, you know, spend a bit of time at primary. Now, when that, when we do go to primary, we tend to focus on five and six because of that link, you know, the, the five to eight link. But in fact, it's really worthwhile spending a bit of time, uh, I, I reckon, with the prep twos and um, j just seeing how it all unfolds from the beginning. And just how logical, Billy, as you've explained, it's really about... The kids and their own stages of development and when you think about it, it makes perfect sense yeah and i think from a professional point of view i don't think you'll find a teacher uh, across the education sector who works harder than a prep teacher uh, in terms of their level of preparation in terms of the emotional exhaustion in terms of the you know academic side you got i, I always thought when i was teaching prep a lot of people used to um look down i i, I felt there's a perception issue that in prep you're just coloring in or you're just making pictures, but you're actually teaching children how to read and how to write and how to be as a person. It's the first real, real chance, you know, of, you know, being able to put their jumper on properly or seeing uh, going the toilet and all of those tying their shoelaces, all of those things that, you know, are so crucial for, for life. Um, happen in that and and i think there's a few advantages as well about teaching in the primary sector which are children will share a lot with you 
so they they want to share they will tell on each other you you won't have to uh you won't have to be jessica fletcher to work out who did the crime uh there'll be a lot of people who who will tell you and the other advantages uh that students learn very quickly and they're very adaptable as well it doesn't take it's not turning around an oil tanker they can adapt to new rules or a new song or a new uh you know change in whatever it is pr generally pretty well um and they're, they're excited about school they're excited about a new person generally if that new person uh looks happy to be there <laughs> and um you know that all of those aspects i think are, are so positive in a primary environment the other um, big advantage is that they want to do jobs <laughs> they want to help you if you say who would like to give out the pencils or who would like to collect the books you can guarantee that 30 students will be definitely saying that's the job i want so those type of things you have to leverage and you have to enjoy and you have to realize that you can ask the students what have you been learning about what are you interested in what do you want to learn about today how do you uh, normally um, do the lunch orders how do you normally call a register how do you normally do xyz you know really use the students as a resource they might only be small they might only be young but they certainly are very fundamentalist about the rules about what uh, the things should be happening in their classroom so please do leverage that when you're in that environment. And it gives you a great opportunity, which is often sometimes hard to find. I know when I go into secondary schools to do some work with year 10 kids, you've got to be very careful about uh, singling a kid out for special, uh, you know, reinforcement or thanks very much or highlighting, if you like, them getting it right. You don't want to draw too much attention to them because, you know, um, you know, saying in year 10, oh, I love the way Terry answered that question. You might get away with that once, you know, but even Terry might think, oh, don't say that to me in front of these kids. You know, I don't really. But with the primary environment, particularly with the Littleys, you can do lots of positive reinforcement by giving them a task or a role. Or I love the way that such and such has done that. And you've been so good. You can help with these um, pencils today. And what it does is it just reinforces the, the, the best sort of behavior. So you can be, you've got lots more, if you, as you say, lots more leverage around that. The other thing I think we really need to touch on here is the and this I I know Terry it'd be interesting to get your um response to this. A lot of the uh, secondary teachers, one of the areas that they struggle with most is around that notion of differentiation in the primary school. I mean, you, we, um, uh, no, not even in five six these days, and I don't even know if we ever did in my time at all. But we don't have the class novel in um you know like the year twelve kids don't all uh, they might all be studying um you know, to kill a mockingbird or something. We don't have that in primary school. In fact, most primary schools, I can't even think of a class that I've been into in the last 20 years, Ian, where uh, you would have at least four different groups for reading um, and you would have different groups for spelling. Uh, maths, you probably tend up not to stay in the same groups with the groups can be a bit more fluid, but you very rarely have everyone working on the same task. And what that actually means is um, well, in, in primary school, it's a little bit hard to, at this stage, and you should definitely get out and have a look at looking at guided reading. But one of the things that they'll do in primary school is they very much use what we call a whole part whole approach to teaching. So that you have all of the kids and we have them on the floor. And the reason that we have them on the floor is um, a lot to do with proximity. Uh, little kids at tables um, lose concentration very quickly. 
So you might have a whole part hole where you actually do the, the teaching, if you like, uh, with the whole group there. You'll then send them off to do a different activity depending on their ability, and then you all bring them back at the end. And that's a very common structure that you'll see around, uh, certainly from right through primaries, but certainly prep to two, prep to four, that notion of let's all start together. You introduce the topic. Uh, it might be a reading, or rather it might be a writing activity where you model it on the board for them. Then you, you may send them off, but you know full well which kids are going to do what well. The other thing that you don't have a lot of um, taking home correction, a lot of it has to be corrected at the time. So there's a lot of immediate feedback. It's not much point giving um, a week later, giving a prep kid the writing he did, you know, a week before. So oh, I read your piece on, oh, really? <laughs> they won't even remember they did it. So it's all that immediate um, feedback on what they're doing well and, and whatever. So. Those sorts of that sort of differentiation of ability, uh, the use of different resources, that's quite uh, an important part and quite a challenging part. And I'd be interested to get your feedback on that, Terry, and yours, Ian, as well. Yeah, I think you do it so well in terms of that, you know, the personalized learning and the differentiation. It's just part of the way that you teach kids right from the very beginning, Billy. Whereas I think um, it's, it's, it's something at secondary um, that requires an enormous amount of, uh, you know, pro professional learning, I think, to, um, yeah, to do it properly. be interesting to hear from you on that, Ian. Yeah, I, I think um, what Billy's just said there as well, I, I pick up a previous point as well, Billy, that was just going through my mind was that whole thing of, of thinking about the end point at the start i know there's a comments funam just put in the a little while ago just in the comments about doing a program in a school and then being left with all the clearing up at the end and i think that's such a common thing in in a in a primary setting that if you if you're not thinking about the end point at the start creating that boundary if you're not thinking about okay how how are we going to clear this up at the end and you kind of need to deal with that at the start and talk the students through each segment. This is what we're going to do to begin. And then what do you think we need to do at the end? How is the classroom going to look when we finish? And that's, I think, a, a really big shift in, in mentality, I think, because in a high school, you're a bit more dynamic in the respect that you're, you know, you can kind of rely on students to, you know, be able to clear up with a short notice. But you do really, I think so much of it is about visualization. You need to ask the students to visualize. And I think another important point that we haven't covered is how important conversation is in primary school, how important it is to students talk to each other and are allowed to talk to each other in a structured way. So you can set that up by putting the scaffold in and saying, well, how would a conversation, if I ask you to talk in pairs on the carpet, how do you think that might look? What do you think you might need to do? How are you going to take turns? Are you going to be listening or are you going to be talking? When you're listening, how might your body look? When you're talking, how might your body look? It is exhausting. <laughs> but but you, have, you have to go through those things because critically for, uh, for, to access the curriculum, if a student can't say something at primary, they're not going to be able to write it. So they really need to be able to talk about it and 
if you you also need to be listening as a teacher to those conversations it's not something that you set students away to do once you set them on the task that's when your real work starts because you really have to be listening in making notes for the teacher for the handover notes uh, you know Deborah said this then was listening to Brian who said this whatever it is record it try to listen enjoy it pick up the points uh, I think all of those small things. Um, but one thing before we finish, we've just got a few minutes left, Billy. One of the classic pinch points for CRTs going into the primary setting is, can I please go to the toilet? <laughs> how do you deal with that? And can you just play out how that scenario normally happens in a primary setting? Let's get the, um, the trouble out of the way first they go. If they want to go to the toilet, they go, and they almost always have to go with one or two other people. And that, uh, if you're unsure about the rule, ask the person next door to you, do they go with one or two? But you never, ever, ever say no. You've, you're on a hiding to nothing there. Now, if um, Ian comes up to me and says, can I go to the toilet? I say, yes, um, be quick. And Terry, you'll, and he said, can I take Terry? I go, yes, you can. Off you go. Then they come back and they sit there for five minutes and Terry says, can I go to the toilet? <laughs> and I think, yeah, you can go to the toilet. Can I take Ian? Yes, you can, right? They come back, Ian tries it on me again. I'll say, well, you'll have to be very quick, Ian. Then this time, oh no, well, Terry's already been out once, so get them to choose someone else. If they keep doing it, and they some of them will, because that's, um, uh, <laughs> that, that's just what they do. <laughs> Sorry, I just laughed then. I, I can think of this kid that... Uh, I used to, when I was in the principal sort of role, um, I would, you know, you'd be often quite outside the office and I ran into this kid, I won't use his name, but um, actually went to school with his father. I, I saw him in the, he was in the, he was in the yard more than the groundsman. <laughs> Every kid who went to the toilet took him. <laughs> he just spent his entire year, entire school life wandering around. But the point is, Ian, what you do then at recess is, if it happens continually, you go and speak to somebody else because there may be a medical issue, there may be some sort of social problem or whatever, why Ian keeps going out. If the lady next door to you, the teacher next door said, oh, no, that's him, uh, tell him he's to go uh, at playtime um, and he can only go once and you choose the person that goes with him. So when you go and say, Ian, I've spoken to the person next door, she said, you don't need to go to the toilet that much. Uh, you are to quickly go um, at lunchtime. If you have, to, if it's a real emergency, you can, and I'll choose the person. Ian then knows that I'm onto him, and the chances are he won't do it again anyway. But you can't take the risk of saying no. Uh, if there is a physical reason why they have to go and they do have an accident, then you have completely ruined your day, his day, her day, um, and it's a disaster. And it's for what gain? What have you proved anyway? So yeah. the answer is they go. Uh, but you keep an eye on it, monitor it. If it's a real issue, get some advice on it. Don't let them continually go with the same one. But that that one that you that's just how you have to handle it because you don't want it's embarrassing for everybody else and um, mortifying for the kid if they have an accident. At any age of teaching, really, you don't have to impose something on on a student. You that you can say, you know, you've been going to the toilet a lot in, during the morning. Uh, I've spoken to the teacher next door. Um, what do you think about this for a plan? Do you think you can, um, do you need to go once or twice or will you let me know in this way? Um, and then create a bit of a framework and a plan around it so that the child is comfortable, they feel in control uh, and you haven't imposed it. They've still got a degree of agency in it. 
I think that's a, a you know a good way to go about it. You can kind of get the control, but give the student the idea that really they've got the uh, autonomy there. Got a couple of questions to answer. I have been really enjoying the chat this morning, uh, looking through people's uh, comments and personal experiences have been fantastic. Yeah, and we, we also had, you know, things like, do you um, shake hands with students? I mean, that would be a common thing. I think COVID is the perfect excuse not to do that. Again, don't initiate any physical contact, even a handshake. There's lots of ways you can say you can give us a special wave. You don't have to touch students. Um, one thing I learned early on teaching prep was never tie a prep's shoelaces, mainly because uh, the boys' toilets generally have moisture on the ground. Uh, so it's, there's, there's things you learn um, on the job as well. And that that's those type of considerations as well. I mean, we, we joke about them, but they are serious day-to-day -day things. But yeah, go ahead. This is this will just highlight what we're talking about, about the end product if you don't think it through. So some days or some areas you might um, go into a primary school, like perhaps into the music room, which is carpeted, all right? You might be a music specialist for the day and you've been told the kids have been playing on the oval. I don't want them into the music room with all the mud on their shoes. They are to make sure that they take their shoes off before they come in. You greet them at the door and you just unwittingly, some would say in brackets foolishly, okay, everybody, you can just take your shoes off, right? Uh, and of course, kids will just pile them up everywhere. It then gets to 3.25 and you realize, oh my God, they've got to put their shoes on. And of course, no one can find their shoes, right? Because they're all just in a massive pile at the door. And you created that problem. You will definitely end up, Billy, in that scenario, three children at least hopping on one shoe. So this is a potential disaster which you've created. So you've got to think through, how am I going to get those shoes lined up? How am I going to get them? You might have to say, right, before you come in to do all the first person, you're going to put, I'm going to take them off and line them up nicely. What's your name? Your first, you, know, you remember your number one, right? So Ian's shoes are number one. Who wants to be number two? Terry, right, your shoes are there. You're number two, Terry. At the end of the day, when I ask number one, you go and grab your shoes, which are first. Whatever your structure it is, it doesn't matter. But the point yeah, is, if you, if you put them into a pile, and at the end of the day, the parents are lining up waiting to get them, and all the shoes are missing, you are going to look like the dill. So, yeah. And, and another thing, just quickly on packing up, high school maybe, pack up at five minutes before you knock off. Primary school, particularly little don't do that. Knock off 15 minutes before, get everything sorted, then have a little game or a story. That's the best way to do it. And also divide and conquer. Pit the tables. Who's going to be the tidiest table? Who's going to be ready? I'm not looking for the quickest. What I'm looking for is the best. I'm looking for, you know, who's going to be uh, ready and pit them against each other. They sometimes have house teams as well in primary school. I'm gonna write down on the notes that I'm leaving for your teacher, which is the best house so they can give you some points or whatever it is. Um, Peter made a good point. Uh, it was why Velcro was invented, the uh, the shoelace thing. Um, but Amandeep did make an important point. What, what happens if they don't have their shoelaces tied? They can fall, get another student to tie them. That's what I did. There was always a student who was able to tie them, who loved tying shoelaces and make sure they wash their hands afterwards. We also had a another good comment as well but i'll i'll get to oh sebastian was talking about um teaching uh children at any level after recess and lunch i think that's a really important point is that the, the tiredness cycle 
of the day, I think you really need to read the room and build in when they come in after lunchtime, an incident could have happened. They could have had a falling out, a fight, whatever had happened at recess, or it could be really hot. What you have to do is you have to say, well, okay, maths was planned right after recess, but what I'm going to do instead is maybe read a story for seven minutes and just get everybody to relax, calm down, to have a drink of water. They can listen to me read this story and then we can transition into the maths. You have to be flexible and read into the room, read the room and see what's happening um, in real life. But what we'll do is just address uh, three of these questions in one minute. Here we go. Uh, so Leon's a new grad um, stepping uh, into being a CRT. Welcome, Leon. Is it an expectation that you'll teach primary Um know that you can teach whichever grade you would like Leon but what I'd say particularly as a new grad please do teach in primary particularly with so many P to 9 schools P to 12 schools great opportunity Billy I was gonna say if you did a primary course there's a fair expectation you should but (laughs) yes yes no no it's grad secondary grad secondary I, I Leon give it a go it'll change your view on teaching altogether yeah, and even if you ease in, Billy, in that five to eight area, I think at a P to nine school, absolutely invaluable from my perspective. Yeah, uh, Robert's also asked a really interesting question. How do you get a preppy who has clung uh, to you uh, or hug, hugged you without warning uh, to let go without offending them? Uh, Robert, you're well within your rights to offend uh, somebody who's done that to you. Don't be worried about offending them if, if it's making you uncomfortable, as it should. Uh, you have a job to do. You're the professional. Making somebody a little bit upset for a short time, as long as you explain to them your role, the boundaries, why you have to do it. You, you know, you're there to teach them. Explain that to them. Uh, they'll get over it. And Kent as well from the Wimmera has asked a question um, just around technology and primary kids. I think that's a really interesting question. You really have to adapt to whatever the school is doing. I worked at schools. I rolled out a uh, BYO program at the school I was working at in terms of iPads. So I had a whole year five class. Everybody had an iPad. There's certainly lots of framework and expectation that you have to build around uh, for that. And also the schools will have their own technology policy. Well worth asking that for when you arrive, you know, in terms of expectations um, and using that. Another important point as well uh, that a lot of CRTs might fall in if they show a video or show something online that isn't 100% child, you know, isn't exempt or unclassified. If it's got guidance or PG, do not show it. Even if you think, oh, well, I've watched it at this bit, parents will complain. So parents are very uh, onto this. You might get away with it once or twice, but not forever. (laughs) Do not do it. Listen, I know we're going to wrap it up, but you can see Terry why when at the end of this three hours they asked for four, you know, I'll be honest, I do a lot of training now for adults. All my teaching skills came out of particularly what I learned with my little kids. Um, you have to be organised and it's a, it's a great thing to do. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. See you all. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. Please do share this podcast with anybody who you think might find it useful and do refer to the show notes to record it as part of your professional development hours. If you need any help or support as a relief teacher, please get in touch with us at Tradewind through our website 
or call us on 1800 192 195. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time for another episode of Australia's leading relief teaching podcast.